This is the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie, and Huskers Radio Network analyst, Jeremiah Searles. Welcome back into another edition of the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza with Jeremiah Searles. I'm Jessica Cootie, and... Uh, Listen, before we get to the game, we got to talk about Oliver's first trip to Memorial Stadium. What did he think? He had an absolute blast. He loved it for the first half. And then my wife actually has this super funny video. Like her Instagram post was like the mood and like it was like all happy. And then by halftime, he was like sitting like this. And we asked him, we go, Oliver, are you having fun? And he just goes, no. <laughs> You know, and I was like, no, you know what, buddy? No one's having fun in the second half. That was not a fun second half. But no, it was a super special moment for me to get to bring my son and have him there and where I got to meet my wife and just a kind of a full circle moment of bringing Oliver to his first Husker game. And he just was so excited. I mean, when he woke up in the morning at 6 a.m., he came into my room and the first thing he said is like, Daddy, time to go to the football game. I was like, not yet, bud. But, like, he loved every second of it. Everyone there was so awesome to him. Everyone in the radio booth from Andrew to Tim to Mike to you on the field. And everyone that just came up, I just say thank you to everyone for making his first game day special. And, you know, first unofficial visit in the books. (laughs) Hey, we're getting it started early, right? So uh... Yeah, I know we can't talk recruiting on the show, but... Hey, class of 2035, class of 2035 is coming in hot. Hey, the number one offensive lineman recruit already. (laughs) We're already giving him that tag. No, I mean, because when I saw him down there, I think he was, y'all had just gotten down there. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine it was overwhelming for me, like, a year ago when I walked on that field for the first time. I can only imagine, little man, and all the everything that was going on and all the big people running around. But um, so he warmed up to it, though. Yeah, he did. He had a lot of fun. He loved the flyover. Probably his favorite part was the helicopter flyover. That was awesome. Yeah, he had a blast, you know, and it was fun for me. It was my first game back this year. You know, I haven't been back to a game yet this year. It was good to be back and good to see everyone again and just be around and made me realize how much I do miss being there on the call with you guys and seeing everyone. I got to go up and see Ben and Greg in the radio booth afterwards. And, you know, it, it makes me really miss being around. But golly, I feel like I feel like you and I are just insanity definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over every single week because we'll pivot to the football game here but my goodness it's just it's heart-wrenching to watch these guys it's just it's it just hurts my soul to watch this football team in the second half and just again the way that they came out of the gate you couldn't have asked for a better start I mean the 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 way the defense came out and pitched the shutout and held Illinois to 31 total yards and then the offense and the drives that they put together those those first two drives it was like oh they're they're they came to play today they're rolling and so you think it's going to be a great day then all of a sudden it just goes off the rails again I mean, here, here's, here's kind of what I think. You know, I think that we've talked about it for a long time. I think Whipple and this offensive staff are phenomenal scripters to start the game. And that's very, that's very, very obvious. You know, but the thing that I'm starting to realize, and this is, not a, this is not a dig at Coach Whipple. I played with a lot of coaches that are like this. Coach Whipple is an old-school offensive coordinator that is a box checker. And what I mean by that is he wants to make sure that he gets all 20 or 25 or whatever those scripted plays are called. And until he gets all of those 25 called, he's not going to go back to the plays that had success. You know, and you see this happen with guys. I mean, we just I just did a podcast in Minnesota talking about how Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins are very similar in that respect. You know, but I think there's something to be said. If you have something that's rolling early and it's rolling early in your script, 
you got to take advantage of that and keep rolling with that and keep calling it until the other defense makes the adjustment to stop it and then get to your other stuff that you have scripted. You know, and I think that's a little bit of what happened in the beginning part of this game is we rolled, we scored early, and then it was like instead of giving right back and getting right back to the stuff we had success, we had to make sure we got all this other stuff called and, and put out there, and then everything started to sputter, and then Minnesota defense made adjustments, and then we just never got back on track. And that being said, though, I mean, again, you can't – uh, you know, this offense isn't built to just run it. It's not built to just throw it. And I know they throw up more than they run it, but there were some times, there were some big drop passes by the wide receivers. And Mickey Joseph was very unhappy with those guys. And he let them know about it on the sideline. And I did a report about it. So, you know, you you look at a couple of the, the drop passes, the plays that needed to be made were big drives and big moments that could have kept drives going too. But again, it's just one of those things. You th This football team is having a hard time putting everything together. You know, it's like there you've seen flashes of you know defense offense but they can't seem to put it all together yeah you know I think a lot of it too is you know a guy that had if we were giving out game balls and they won a guy that would get a game ball is Ty Robinson you know the guy had a phenomenal game but the problem is here Ty Robinson is a defensive lineman that you want to ask to play 40 to 45 snaps a game and you'll get the tie that we saw for 40 or 45 snaps but when you have an depth problem on the defensive line which you and I have talked about since spring football you have to ask a guy like Ty Robinson to play 60 plus snaps a game or 65 plus snaps a game and now you're starting to see those 25 snaps are affecting the play that he could have for 40 and that's kind of all across the front of our defense and it's really kind of all across the front of those of our entire defensive front and I mean the front seven not just the front four and, you know, I think that's part of something that's raising its issues in the second half and not being able to put a complete football game together. You know, it goes hand in hand. Just as the offense was not getting it to go and the defense eventually just kind of ran out of gas. Yeah. You know, and, and that's so for you, the second week in a row. Right. And, you know, and it's complimentary football. It's Big Ten football. you got to be able to score and stop and score and stop and right now we're just not firing on all cylinders and we're not even clicking at the right time you know if if everything was clicking in the first half we would have scored 21 points and then we'd probably win this football game even if the defense starts to run out of gas in the second half you know but just scoring 10 and i was sitting in the stands and everyone around me is like guys we're gonna win this game like it's gonna happen i was like 10 points ain't gonna do it like 10 points just ain't going to win this football game with how Minnesota is going to come out and control the clock in the second half and make adjustments and do what we've watched them do all season. And it just kind of just fell like sand out of our hands just so sl ever so slowly in that second half. What did you see that what have you seen, especially these last couple of weeks and again, ran out of gas and but the way that the defense has performed at times has been pretty dominant so what have you seen that's clicked for them here in these last couple of weeks especially you know they've been just ultra aggressive you know they haven't been afraid to make mistakes they haven't been afraid to just fly around the football and just running with their hair on fire and that's the way you have to play defense and you know i think that there's a piece of it that at the beginning of the year a lot of these guys were trying to be like, you know, I can't play with my hair on fire at 100 miles an hour because I'm going to have to play every snap, you know, and you're starting to see a team that's like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to play with my foot on the gas and go as fast as I can until I just wear myself out. The problem is we don't have guys that can spell them long enough to refill their tanks, you know, and so you're seeing this ultra aggressive, ultra competitive guys just running after the football for two and a half, two and a half, three quarters. But then we get to the end of the second, the third quarter and the fourth quarter, and they just don't have it anymore. And when you try and put other players in there, it's just such a deep drop off 
from the production level, you just can't, you just, there's no remedy for that. And that's the really, the hard thing for Husker fans to swallow, for myself to sit there and look at and be like, there's just no way to fix this right now. And the only way you can fix it is with depth and development and all of that. But it just right now in November, it's just an unfixable problem. Here's the thing, go with me here, because again, we've seen flashes, and how many times have we come on here and said, oh, if this would have gone this way, or if this would have happened, if Casey Thompson plays in this football team, or in this football game, maybe it's a different story, but again, the good programs figure out a way to battle through that adversity and come out on the other side of it. And you know how much of it is to just a mentality of the belief and the confidence because they haven't been able to figure out a way to make those winning plays that then it kind of snowballs and then you don't have that belief when you absolutely have to have it in those critical moments. Yeah, I mean, we're, again, we're talking about a team that's not used to winning football games by any level. Yeah, we won two in a row this year. That was great, but that's just not our, our DNA. You know, our DNA is not to just walk out onto the field and know we're going to win a football game. That only comes with winning three, four, five in a row or win, having a winning season, you know. And so those are all things that you just have to cure by winning, you know, have to have in the confidence. You can have the confidence at the beginning of the game, but it's one of those things that if you haven't done it on a consistent basis, that when it does snowball and adversity does hit and things aren't going your way, it's human nature to fall back on what is familiar. And what is familiar with this football team is we haven't won the close one score games. That's just the familiarity piece, you know, and until we can start finding ways to win those close games and win the one score games and push it to the end and do all that. It's just a belief thing that you can't replicate. You can't replicate that belief in practice. You just can't. It only comes on Saturdays in the fall. Valentino's has been a Nebraska tradition since 1957. Get the big red double jumbo deal. Two one-topping jumbo pizzas for only $18.79 each. Well, listen, out of the gate, offensive line had it clicking. I mean, you have to give them a, a credit because that, again, that first drive, they were pretty dominant. And I, I heard a couple people talking about how, you know, even Bryce Benhart w- was finishing off some guys on some blocks. What, did, what was your takeaway, at least for the offensive line, the way they started the game? Yeah, no, I thought it was great. You know, I thought it was great. We lined up on our center. We got going downhill. We were running guys off the ball. And I talked about it on the podcast last week. That's what you have to do against a Minnesota Gopher team that is very used to defending the outside zone because it's what they practice against all spring, all fall camp. Like, that's what they know. And so we said, okay, we're going to run straight at you. We're going to go up and down. We're going to get Anthony Grant going out of the pistol. We're going to get down going out under center and get him a full head of steam and let him get rolling. And we had a ton of success with it. And then... It just went away. And it was really frustrating because I felt like that was something that if you wanted to get the offensive line rolling and confidence and just saying, hey, we're just going to keep doing this, I felt like they could have kept building off of that. I felt like they could have kept wearing this defensive front out and we could have kept moving the ball and kept sustaining drives. But eventually it kind of just fizzled. We went back into the pass game a little bit where we struggled. And, you know, it was just kind of this thing where all of a sudden all that momentum we built in that first drive and, and going all of a sudden just kind of fizzled away and then we just were never ever to get it back. Love that sound effect, by the way. Can you do that again? It's the sound of our <laughs> offense disappearing in the first half. <laughs> Andrew was back there laughing, and I almost lost it in the middle of your uh, <laughs> hot take there. It's because you know I'm right. <laughs> uh, it was the sound effect. I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to have to record that so we can use it sometimes and plug it <laughs> in somewhere. Uh, but no, I mean, in the quarterback situation, too, the way that Chubba Purdy came out and his demeanor, his body language, and even Mickey Joseph told me at halftime how impressed he was with how he was managing the game in the first half. But again, just 
lost that confidence at some, you know, when things started not going their way and, and you know, you didn't see that same Chubba Purdy in the second half that you saw there in the first half. Right. And, you know, and that's what you want to see when you have a quarterback in there. You want to see him take command for a full game. And, you know, when we pride Logan Smothers in there and he had some success and then you go back to Purdy. And I mean, just ask Rutgers how good a rotating quarterback system goes. Yeah, it's I'm not a not, fan of rotating quarterbacks. I am not either. You know, it's one of those things we had to do it my senior year with Tommy Armstrong and Ron Kellogg. And luckily we had a full senior offensive line that could take care of everything. But we also could rely on guys like Amir Abdullah and Braylon. Like we had a ton of running backs, you know, but. For when you have a pass-heavy offense and you're rotating quarterbacks, it's not a recipe for success, especially when you're talking about a guy like Logan Smothers who you can do so much with with the run game. And I'm not saying Chubba can't run, but he's nowhere near as fast and athletic as Logan Smothers is, in my opinion. And I you will know, say, and Chubba's arm is better than Logan's arm. Correct. You know, and so you have kind of polar opposite quarterbacks, one that's a run first and run and gun, get him out of the pocket and let him sling it and Logan. And then you have the kind of Chubba who you don't really want to get him on the move too much. You want to let him set his feet and deliver the ball because that's what he's good at. And then you're kind of blending these two methods and these two offenses that it's just really hard to get in any kind of rhythm. And especially when you're talking about like a pocket quarterback in Chubba where it's back foot in the ground, deliver the ball. And now you're saying, okay, Logan's going to create. Now you're asking the receivers, the timings off. And it's just not a good recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. It's just really what it is. And that's what we saw on Saturday at times was just, it was just kind of all out of sorts and all out of whack. I mean, we didn't get a first down until the fourth quarter. Not one first down. And I remember because the entire stadium cheered when we got our first down. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just you can't win football games like that. And so I think regardless of who you pick a quarterback, Chubba, or you go with Logan, and I think at this point it's kind of a coin flip in my opinion. You know, I really don't think you're going to go really wrong with either one. But you just kind of got to stick with them out with it and just put your game plan in and just roll with whatever game plan that is and just say this is what we're going with, good, bad, or ugly. We're going with it. And right now, you know, I think that my personal opinion would be to put Logan Smothers in for this game and see what he can do. We saw what Chubba could do for the first part of this game. Let's see what Logan could do for the first part of this game. But ultimately, it's not really going to matter because I think we're 28-point dogs to Michigan right now. I mean, we're going to have to control the clock, and I think you do that with a running football team, and Logan Smothers gives you the ability to give a little bit more of a run game to your offense. I did love Logan's demeanor on the sideline when he did get thrown in there late. The moment wasn't too big for him. He did not look for a second nervous. Like, he was shaky. He was ready for it. And so you got to like that out of a guy who's thrown in there cold, and especially when Chubba seemed a, a little bit shaky for Logan, for his demeanor and the way he was carrying himself you know you got to like that out of a guy like that that's hey this moment's not going to be too big for me and i'm going to do what i can do to help this team win absolutely and you know he came out he delivered a great ball over the middle there and i mean you're seeing he's we haven't got a huge sample size but i would like to believe that he's developed more of a passer since we saw him against iowa last year and you know you talk about <clears throat> a guy that deserves a shot if casey can't go i think logan deserves a shot to get a full game and say okay we saw what you did with a full game last year against iowa let's see what you've done basically a year later now i mean it's basically a year you got three weeks left here let's see what you can do and start looking to the future of this team like the bowl game is probably out the window here that's really not going to happen but let's look at what the future can be at the quarterback position for obviously casey's our guy but let's see what logan can do and let's see what he's at as a player as a second year guy uh, you know, you had mentioned a good point, too, that I, I wanted to – this will be the last point, then we can move on. But um, the wide receivers, and, and I went back to – I talked about the, you know, 
Coach Joseph being a little upset with the wide receivers not catching the ball, but it has to be tough for those receivers who, you know, again, just, and you got to be able to catch the ball with who's ever throwing it to you. But that, that's not an easy ask either when you are going from one quarterback to the next to the next. I mean, they're used to Casey, and then you have Logan, and they're, they're, also, they're, they're different. They're just different, and the, the rhythms are different. The chemistry is different. And I think it showed to me, it looked like Chuba was more confident throwing the ball to Marcus Washington because they probably took a lot of reps together throughout fall camp, right? And, and whereas Trey's probably more comfortable with Casey throwing him the ball. Absolutely. Every quarterback has, you know, and it's, it's, it goes as deep as just how they release the football. How they release, how the ball looks coming out of their hand, where the ball placement is. Like as a receiver, you get comfortable. Like, okay, if Casey loves to put the ball on my outside shoulder, that's where I'm going to be used to. And all of a sudden, Logan comes in and he throws it to your inside shoulder. You know, simple as that. Or you know, the timing is just half a second off or a full second off. Or it's so hard when you have three quarterbacks throwing. If you have all three quarterbacks line up and throw the exact same route, the timing's going to be different for all three of them. Right. And that's just the nature of what it is. And when you put it in real bullets, and now you're saying, and they have rushers, and they have different defenses, and all that, like it throws everything off. And so it's really hard to pin it on the quarterbacks or just pin it on the receivers. It's just a mess. When your starting quarterback goes out at any level, it just becomes an absolute mess when you're trying to talk about timing and receivers. All right, uh, let's close the chapter. Let's move on to Michigan. And, hey, there are some um, arguments that Michigan is better than Ohio State. Where, what's your stance on that? They're so different. They're so different. You know, you talk about Ohio State, and it is the – I mean, you, t you talk about just one of the highest – prolific offenses of all time you know guys that can just throw it all over the yard and can take the top off the defense at any time and got home run hitters all over the place and then you look back at Michigan's offense and they're the they're the Michigan offense that's just like no no we're running in the a gap over and over <laughs> and over again and I don't care if you know it I don't care if everyone in the stands knows it we're just going to do it because we have one of the best offensive lines in the country which they do and Blake Corum is a Heisman favorite you know, so you have the perfect recipe for fire and ice when Michigan and Ohio State play. And then you also have for a team like Nebraska that's going up against a team of Illinois, Minnesota, and now Michigan that is just physically going to run the ball straight at you over and over again. You know, I think Ohio State's defense might be a little bit better just because they have better back end. But overall, I think Michigan's offense is built better to win when you start playing games in late November when the weather can get a little crappy, it's a little bit colder, the wind's whipping a little bit more up in Ann Arbor, I think Michigan is built better to win games outdoors in big-time moments in late November than Ohio State is. But that being said, those two teams are in a complete class of their own when you talk about the rest of the Big Ten. Would you say, though, that Michigan's got to be up there in all of college football with both offensive line and defensive line together best front in college yes. football? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you talk about the lines of scrimmage, Michigan is in the top three, if not the top two, of both both sides of the ball. So what have you seen um, out of their offensive line? What makes them so good? Yeah, you know, they're just physical dominance. You know, everyone they've went up against this year, they've been able to just bully up front. You know, they double-team really well. They've got... Uh, they have a right guard who's probably going to be a draft pick. They have a left tackle who's a top dead one or two guy. You know, they have NFL talent on their front on their front five. You know, so when you can just bully guys and be like, yeah, load the box. We don't care. We're going to disrupt the line of scrimmage over and over again. You're going to win a lot of football games. And so they do a great job with that. And then I think that the play action game for them has been incredible, too, because when you have an offense that can just run the ball over and over again, and then all of a sudden you get a defense that's just sucking up, sucking up, sucking up, that safety that plays at 12 
now standing at nine because the running back's getting to the second level. That's when you get the deep shot over the top of your head, and they've just been so efficient with taking care of the football as well because of the ball security that they're just one of the most complete offenses to watch. So, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, for the Nebraska offensive line going up against that front, I mean, what's, and again, we just broke down the quarterback situation. Mickey Joseph talked today, right now, Casey Thompson still day to day. Probably, he said it probably, if he had to, he'd say probably is not going to go. So, what would be the key to have any kind of success whatsoever against that Michigan front? Hold on to your butts and survive. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I really like it. It is a mismatch in every sense of the word, and I hate saying that. And, I, and that's not a detriment to our guys. It's just the reality of where we are. You're looking at an offensive line for Nebraska that is still figuring out who's at Brock Bandos and Ethan Piper's and Henry Lutovsky. Teddy's still out. Nuri's, I mean, we're still mixing and matching pieces that are not giving us our full strength offensive line, and it's weak. Eight, nine, you know, and then you're talking about a Michigan team that is starting to hit their stride, and they're not just playing for Big Ten implications, they're playing for college football playoff implications, you know, and so it's a mismatch in every sense of the word, but in order to have success against this Michigan team, you have to win on first down, you have to keep the pocket clean, but that is a tall task to ask of this offensive line. So at this point, because, I mean, you're very obviously high on Michigan, mm -hmm. no matter what the outcome is, would you put Michigan and Ohio State in the college football playoff? No, you got to put whoever beats, whoever wins, whoever wins that game. You know, that's basically a conference championship in and itself because I think whoever wins that game on the, that side will win the Big Ten overall. You know, I don't think you can have a one-loss Big Ten team um, in there with the college football playoff with some of the other teams that are playing extremely well this year. There will be an argument for it, um, you know, but I think a lot of it will be depend how that game is won between Michigan and Ohio State, if it's a blowout, if it's a close game like last year, or a decisive win like Michigan had over Ohio State last year, you know, one of the coolest games to watch. But, you know, I, I don't think you can put both those teams in the college football playoff, but I think one of them will have to just win out to get in. You, you played in the big house, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Greg told me that I might be a little underwhelmed because this is one of the yes. places that I've been very excited to go to. And he compared it a little bit like the Rose Bowl. Like you understand the history and tradition there. But as far as the stadium goes, it's a little underwhelming. I would have to agree with you. Um, I wanted to be a Michigan Wolverine in high school. Jake Long wow. was my hero. Lloyd Carr actually offered me and then he got fired and Rich Rodriguez came and pulled my offer. You know, I wanted to be a Michigan Wolverine. And so when I got to go play there for the first time, I was so excited. And granted, we got a, we got the brakes beat off of us by Denard Robinson <laughs> the first time we went up there in 2011. Um, but, you know, I think that it is just kind of it's not super loud. It's huge. It's big, but it's so open. You know, there's one thing about, like, the Penn States and the Ohio States where it's just kind of right on top of you. The fans are just kind of like it almost looks like it curls back inside on top of you. But this one's just this big, giant bowl. It's, like, down in the ground. So, like, you're lower than the actual, like, level earth. It's just, it's a weird stadium. And honestly, for me, it never got that loud because it never actually fills up. Now, they're as good as they've ever been, so it might fill up. But at the same time, it's like, it's not a huge game for them. It's not going to be this crazy atmosphere, night game, everything's excited, and huge playoff implications type of game. But at the same time, they're really good. They'll have a huge fan base there to start the game, and it's going to be hostile and loud. But I think I agree with Greg. You will be slightly underwhelmed once you actually step foot on the field. All right. So, you know, and people might roll their eyes at this, but, you know, I just I talked to Anthony Grant after the game, and he seems 
excited about this kind of opportunity. And and for some of these players that, hey, we talked about this against Oklahoma, that, you know, if you're talking about potentially showing a scout what you can do, this is going to be the game tape, one of the game tapes that they're going to turn on. So, you know, again, how much is it with Nebraska? Hey, go out there and nothing to lose, and, and you have a potential as, as an individual to maybe make a name for yourself in this one. 100%. If you're Trey Palmer, if you're Travis Volkolek, and, and you're guys that have NFL hopeful on your offensive side, like this is going to be arguably the best secondary you play all year, go out there and do something. Travis was, had a phenomenal game blocking against the Minnesota Gophers last week. Can he carry that over? Can he go have another big, long touchdown catch? You know, those type of things for those players are tremendously important because you're right. When a scout turns on a tape to evaluate a player, the first thing they do is turn on their toughest competition. And Michigan will be the toughest competition the Nebraska offense has played thus far. You know, and then you flip it on the defensive side, like this offensive line is very, very good. If you want to make a name for yourself as a young player, I'm thinking guys like Colton Feast. I'm thinking guys like Ty Robinson. Go have a super disruptive game because there are NFL players on that offensive line from Michigan that you can go out and prove your medal against and prove what you can be. So there's plenty of opportunity for everyone on this Husker football team to go out there and do your thing. And you hope that everyone takes advantage of it because it is still football. And any given Saturday, you can still be. I mean, Rutgers had them on the ropes. Northwestern had Ohio State on the ropes. But, you know, at any given week, you can come out and beat any given team. It's just when you look at the matchup on paper, it doesn't look great. But that doesn't mean that an individual can't go out there and just put their best foot forward the entire game. Quick detour here because you just mentioned Travis Vokalek. Yesterday at the women's basketball game beforehand, they had a pep rally, the Sportsmanship for Life pep rally. And they had different student athletes come and speak to this. I mean, 2,500 screaming students and from you know across the state of Nebraska. Travis Vokalek was one of the guys that came and, and spoke to the kids. And, you know, a lot of times you forget the impact that they're making when they step off the football field. And Travis really has developed into a heck of a leader for this football program. And Really, for Nebraska athletics overall, that was their day. That was his day off, and he volunteered to come up there and and speak at that event. Yeah, you know, I think him getting the C put on his chest and understanding that he's a captain of this football team, and you know, that goes further than just between the white lines. It's what you do off the field, is what you do in the community, and he embodies what it means to be a Husker. You know, I said the same thing about Adrian Martinez. You know, as much grief as he got for on the field stuff, he was a fantastic leader and a fantastic. Um, guy that wore the N and took the N out into public and said, this is what the Huskers stand for. And Vocalex just like, he's just one of those guys. Garrett Nelson's another guy that does the exact same thing. You know, those guys embody what it means to be a Husker, and that's bigger than football. It's bigger than the legacy you leave will not always be what the record is on the wall. It will be what you did while you were here. All right, um, let's get back now. Keys, what can Nebraska do to potentially pull off a huge, <laughs> massive upset? Uh, I think we have to turn the ball. We have to get the ball turned over by them and give our offense a short field at least two or three times. Um, you know, I think we need to have them give us a couple on a pump muff or something like that that gives us a 20-yard field and a chance. Um, you know, another thing is just our punter has to continue to be elite and do what he does and make them go the distance. You know, the more times that you make an offense have to run more plays, the greater opportunity of them making a mistake. Um, you know, and then the other side of it is just make sure that you don't come in there already defeated. 
Yeah. You know, I think that's the last thing. You can't walk in there already going, we're going to get beat. Regardless of what the other team's record is, regardless of what you feel, you have to have a confidence as a player that you can go out there and win. And it starts with understanding, I'm going to win my one-on-one -on -one matchup. I'm going to win this drive. I'm going to win this series. I'm going to win this quarter. And then it just continues to grow. You have to come in with that mindset. And all 22 starters have to have that mindset. And really, all 100 guys on the team have to have that mindset. You know, I think Mickey's not going to let them come into this game thinking, oh, poor us. No. They're going to come in and say, we're going to beat this football team. And you have to come in with that mentality. Because if you come in with the, well, let's just make sure we don't get boat raced today, you're going to get boat raced. You know? <laughs> and so that's a big piece of it. Yeah. Okay. So, and just, I ask you this every week. So players to watch. I think Ty Robinson's a guy. I want to see if he continues to build off of the big week he had against Minnesota last week. He's come into his own a lot on that defensive line. Um, and then I really want to continue to watch Marcus Washington. You know, I think a guy that they're going to continue to try and take away Trey Palmer. They're going to continue to try and take away our best player. And it's up to other guys to step up, rise to the occasion and really take their moments. And I think he's a guy that can continue to do that. All right. Anything we missed? Go Big Red. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the uh, Sideline Slice with Searles, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Thanks for listening, and we'll be, we'll be back next week. Make sure you subscribe and like wherever you listen to never miss an episode. Valentino's, a slice of home you just can't get anywhere else. What started with a treasured family recipe in Lincoln, Nebraska, has become a classic Italian tradition for 65 years.